Hello and welcome to the Squiggly Animation Podcast. In this episode, we welcome Mikey Please and Dan Ojari, directors of Robin Robin. Well, hello, hello, everyone. Welcome to another Squiggly Animation Podcast. It's been a minute. I'm Ben Mitchell, joined by Steve Henderson. Steve, how the devil are you? I'm fine, and I am dandy, Ben. How are you? How's tricks? Um, okay. You know, it's uh, it's a busy time in um, this neck of the woods. I gather it's a busy time in your neck of the woods as well. Busy, busy, busy. And indeed, you can add a few more busies on the end of there as well. I think, um, yeah, 2021 is is shaping up to be the year of dreams we all expected it to be. <laughs> but you know, hanging in. Um, you know, Laura's in the uh, that home stretch of the PhD. Uh, I'm in the home stretch of a, a project that will maybe tie into Squiggly, but I'm not sure if I can really talk about it yet. Maybe if there's one more podcast before the end of the year or early next year. But that'll be exciting when the time comes. That's wrapping up now. That's kind of dominating my uh, free time. There's British Animation Awards as well happening, uh, event juries, stuff like that. It's a bit of plate spinning should circle back to British Animation Awards, actually. But before then, of course, there's the Manchester Animation Festival, which is imminent, or nearly imminent, a couple of weeks away. Yeah, yeah. It's. I mean, it's not the most imminent thing in my life, obviously. I've got a little baby due next week, so that's going to be exciting. But yeah, so my, my autumn has been spent planning an animation festival, planning uh, a, a, an online festival, an in-person festival, planning for whatever the hell COVID throws at us and planning for the birth of a child, which has been great fun, as you can imagine, uh, and not at all worrying. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> uh, Manchester Animation Festival's on its way. Um, so loads to look forward to there. Um, yeah, uh, I, th- I feel like, I feel to talk about Manchester Animation Festival, is asking a, it's like asking a boxer to talk about, you know, while he's boxing, which punches in the head he's happy to have received <laughs> to describe them in great detail um but yeah I, i'm i'm uh, i'm in the middle of we've we've just launched the second part of our animation our animation offering uh we've announced our fellowship we've announced uh who's coming to the festival we've got master classes we've got ron's gone wrong we've got robin robin we've got tonko house are coming to give a master class we've got um, I can't. I can't remember. I can't remember or forget anyone because if I forget anyone, I'll get in, tr- in trouble. And if I don't remember them, I will as well. Um, and uh, yeah, heaps and heaps of great stuff um, at, at, at Math this year. Have you sorted a nursery yet? Uh, yeah, yeah. That, that's just for me. I just crawl up in the cot and cry <laughs> myself to sleep every night. <laughs> but yeah, um, we we've sorted the nursery. We've we've got everything uh, everything sorted there uh, as well. But. Um, yeah. <laughs> the nursery is basically a big uh, a wall chart for math. Um, that's what we've done. It's with little <laughs> strings leading from events to events and post-it notes all over the place. Um, and the child will just sleep in a basket in the middle of the room. And <laughs> it's like, absorb it, child. This is your future. <laughs> you can yeah. make a, a mobile out of um, old Annecy promotional gifts. Yeah, old festival lanyards. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just start the indoctrination early 
Well, you've got to start it somewhere, haven't you? Yeah. Either that or you set in motion a complete fear of animation or resistance toward it as an industry overall. That'll have to be how our kids rebel. They'll like get into sports. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, don't, I'm not interested in animation. I'm going to go and do something physical. <laughs> when I was taking my graphic novel around, like conventions and stuff, trading shows and uh, comic conventions, and they had like a big cosplay contingent. You know, people dressing up as whatever the fuck, Tinkerbell, Doctor Who, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And I remember this beautiful and yet sort of horrifyingly tragic exchange between a, a father and a son <laughs> walking up and down the tables. And there was someone who, I guess, I forget if it was like they had made like an R2-D2 costume or they had like made, like just made one and it was remote control, but it was like this pretty impressive replica. I'm not really into that movie, but like I, I could appreciate they'd put some effort into it. Anyway, this guy's walking up an aisle and he sees this thing coming towards him and he's ecstatic at how great it looks. And he turns to his young... This guy's in his, like, 40s. He turns to his young son, who's around 9 or 10. Oh, my God! Oh, my God! Billy! 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 Look! Quick, quick! Go over there! Let me let me take your picture with it! And young Billy turned to his dad and just wearyingly said, Dad, that that's your thing. <laughs> <laughs> and the heartbreak <laughs> rippled through the conference. <laughs> just rippled through the hole. Uh, like palpably, it was like in the Simpsons. He could pinpoint the moment his heart tore asunder. Ah, <laughs> uh, so that's my that's my future. It won't be like Star Trek, but it'll be some Simpsons thing, or you know, something where my kid just goes, "Yeah, I don't care." I can see the shockwave knocking comics off the tables. He's <laughs> <was> like, <laughs> you know, like just that as the heart rips in two and drops to the floor. Yeah. Oh. So, you know, steal yourself just in case you're watching Danger Mouse and your offspring turns to you and goes, yeah, it's all right, but, you know. <laughs> well, you know, ad- adoption's an option, isn't it? You know, that's that's, that's the thing. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding, child who's listening to this now, hopefully in the future. No one listens to this. Don't worry about it. <laughs> oh, the last people who are going to listen to the squiggly podcast are going to be... <laughs> The squiggly podcast hosts kids in the future. <laughs> yeah, but we're supposed to pass it on to them, Ben. We're, we're, we made a deal with a devil 10 years ago and we've got to pass this thing on. We can't stop. We've got to carry on just endlessly talking nonsense about animations <laughs> every periodically. <laughs> and then it's got to pass on to the next generation. We've got to let our, our, our kids take over. <laughs> oh, we just bin it. Oh, one, yeah, one or t'other. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so yeah, lots lots to look forward to. But yeah, Manchester Animation Festival this year. We've got um starts on the fourteenth uh, of November. Uh and uh we yeah, we've got loads of things coming up. I've also or, or already said Robin Robin, we've got a making of Ron's Gone Wrong, we've got Tonko House coming along. Uh we've also got a look behind the scenes of the house, which looks uh really interesting as well. And that's that was one of the the ones that uh jumped out at me at Annecy this year as, as something really special as you know um Nexus and uh, Netflix have have decided to gather around um basically superstars of stop motion animation that you'll see uh, at festivals so you've got like um uh Nikki uh, Lindroth van Baar who did the burden uh you've got Paloma Beza who did uh, Poles Apart and then you've got um Mark James Rolls um and uh I forget her surname because um, my head has disappeared 
uh, completely. It is, yes, Emma de Swift as well. Um, sorry, Emma de Swift. Uh, but yeah, um, we've got, uh, we got the, the, those guys who did, uh, a willy and, uh, this magnificent cake. So these are, these are obviously stop motion superstars, as I said, but people that don't really get much of a, a crack of the whip on TV or, or anywhere apart from the festival circuit. So it's really nice to see, see this come together. I remember we talked about this, um, after the Annecy presentation quite a bit in the last episode. And I think, yeah, if this is something that can kind of help give their names perhaps a bit more sort of like mainstream recognition. I mean, it didn't strike me as the most mainstream show in the world, but I do think that, you know, the high profile nature of it and the potential for it to kind of lead to other things. I know I, I, I'm sort of with you in the sense that there are a lot of other people whose names are probably more kind of well-known that maybe don't deserve it as much. I'll just say it. <laughs> These people made short films, all of them, that were the absolute talk of the festival circuit whenever they sort of did the rounds, you know? They just kind of stayed with you in a way that, you know, not a lot of films do. Like, there's a certain kind of quality where a film kind of lingers, and I think that few directors really kind of possess that gift. I still think of um, uh, The Burden, like, whenever I'm kind of, like, driving past a sort of desolate, barely populated, like, retail outlet area, you know, the sort of grim fluorescent lighting of an empty fast food joint. You know, sort of walking past or driving past. There's something about that, like, loneliness that she really kind of carried across in her film. And from what I've seen of, you know, the little clips that they showed at Annecy, and it, it, I, I feel like there are elements that have sort of translated through. Uh, and I think it's a very interesting premise, you know, the idea of this house being sort of, you know, lived in in different ways by different types of occupants, you know, quite vastly different types of occupants and the different stories they tell. So, yeah, that's definitely, um, that's a math highlight, I think, for me. Mm. Another one that I saw um, that I would definitely recommend people check out as Michaela Pavlatova's feature film. Really? Which is kind of unexpected that that was even a thing. I didn't you know, realize that she had been working on um, a feature. Really exciting. But, uh, yeah. That's uh, that's really interesting. I've uh, yeah, obviously I had the had the sort of pleasure of seeing this one. This is my Sunny Mard. Uh, so I saw it ahead of time. I don't know if it was playing at Annecy. I know the features weren't available internationally at Annecy, but. Um, uh, those people in the UK can see the features uh, at MAF if they wish. Um, but uh, yeah, we're really excited to be sharing that one. It's it's really interesting this year trying to find films that weren't to do with refugees, war, or Afghanistan. I think we're seeing now mm. the results of uh, what the breadwinner did, like four or five years ago. So the mm. breadwinner came out of nowhere and really kind of excited uh, indie film distributors uh, to to show that you can tell the tale like that. And this year we've got Flea uh, showing at MAF, which is about a, an asylum seeker. Um, a lot more than that. It's about the journey, going through life, all that type of stuff. Absolutely amazing film and something which I think is Denmark's hopes for at least three Oscar categories, documentary, animation, and film. Uh, best foreign language, maybe. Um, so that's a, an exciting film. Uh, we've got My Favourite War, uh, which we uh, reviewed on the site 
earlier on in the year and perhaps had one of the most unusual competitions we've ever had on Squiggly, where uh, you could win some Soviet-era badges, which... I don't know if you remember that one. <laughs> Did anyone win those at the end? Um, I, I, we'll have to ask Aaron. Aaron was in charge of that one. Um, I, I, I entered myself. Oh, that was fascinating. Um, and uh, yeah, so we got we got uh, three films there about about war, and then we got Absolute Denial, which is another film which is nothing to do with war. So that's refreshing. But um, yeah, really kind of really interesting to see the amount of films. Uh, about that are set in kind of the backdrop of a war or set amongst that kind of hardship or set in, in Afghanistan or partly in Afghanistan, uh, because of, um, you know, because of the, the success of the breadwinner. And obviously the stories are unique in their own telling. I'm not saying that they're all breadwinner copies in the slightest. They're all completely different. They all have their own voices. They all have their own stories to tell. The only thing, the literally the only thing that links them is the themes of war and the locations, but completely different stories being told, um, and very valid and and interesting and compelling stories at that as well. But um, I think what's happened here is obviously there's a trend of, you know, money has been spent on these films now that you know the breadwinners proved to be a success, which is great. You know, all power to the animation industry as we get more and more of these independent features coming out. And we've got um, yeah, like so we've got a Q and A with um, Michaela Pavlatova. Uh, this being a debut animated feature film. Um, we've got Q&As with everybody else as well at the festival. Um, but yeah, we're big fans of Michaela's work here at, uh, at Squiggly as well. Yeah, hopefully um, we'll be talking to her soon, uh, maybe on a one-to-one. But uh, yeah, I, I have to say of all the sort of animated features I've seen this year, this one really ranks pretty highly. And the last thing I heard that I was sort of really aware of was a long time ago, it would have been Tram. And, you know, we had her on another podcast talking about that a little while ago. And that's a style that, you know, it, it's really perfect for short form. It's really perfect for the comedy business in that film. And the style of this film isn't really the same. It's sort of a step above, but there are shared qualities insofar as it's, you know, it's, it's 2D animation with economics in mind. And when I saw the trailer, I was like, okay, well, you know, there's lots of really lovely sequences in this. Is this going to kind of retain my attention for a feature length film? And, you know, five minutes into the film, complete suspension of disbelief. I was in the story. I really enjoyed the characters. I found the family dynamic really interesting. It's witty. It's, you know, quite thoughtful. You know, and it reminded me of certain other films. Oddly, not so much The Breadwinner. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, you know, other than the sort of, like, obvious connections. But, like, it, this actually felt a bit more like something like Persepolis. Yes. It was sort of very much more the personality of the main character and how she, you know, she deals with the people around her and lives this new life that's kind of at odds with what she's, you know, really been used to. That doesn't play it too heavy-handed either. Like, there are sort of ways, I think, that the cultural issues, I think, you know, women face adapting from one region of the world to another, what the perceived role of a woman is in family or in society, and how that can be quite jarring if you're coming at it from a Western perspective. It's not played in a particularly, like, overbearing way. It's it's interesting. You know, it's quite respectful, I thought. And especially sort of more recently, knowing people who have moved to that part of the world and had to kind of uh, acclimatize in a similar way 
and you know hearing their accounts of it it felt very familiar and very authentic in that respect as well obviously in the film she actually she goes over of her own volition obviously but in a kind of um i i i think the the film itself has a it's her choice that she goes over for a simpler life i found that really fascinating that she's gone over to afghanistan to 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 be a to to live a simple life because because of the culture over there um and and she finds obviously she finds anything anything but there's there's a whole new kind of uh, a structure that she has to adhere to and and understand and i found it yeah fascinating uh, also so yeah Brilliant film. We're looking forward to talking to Michaela about that at the festival. Um, yeah. What else do we have? What else do we have at MAF? Uh, one of the things that we've announced recently as well is a work in progress of the character of Rain, which is uh, through director uh, Lian Cho, who was um storyboard artist on many fantastic uh, productions, including recently Calamity, which we premiered at the festival last year. But... Um, he's also worked on Long Way North. Um, I think he worked on The Illusionist as well and things like that. So, uh, this is his first, uh, director, directorial, uh, feature. So, yeah, that was a fascinating interview as well. So I'm looking forward to sharing that and there's going to be a live Q&A there. But what's, what's nice about that one is, is seeing how European animation is thriving and to be able to showcase that type of thing. And obviously a lot of these films, all of these films have been made with European funding, European money. Um, and it's it's nice to see that kind of film ecosystem being quite stable as well. Mm. Um, we've got um, we've got four features in competition at MAF this year. Whereas when we first started doing MAF in 2015, we wouldn't have we wouldn't have wanted to do an animated feature category because we didn't know whether or not we'd have films of a, a decent quality from one year to the next. I mean, we both remember a year at Annecy, don't we, Ben, where we were kind of, it was divulged to us that the, the uh, I won't tell you which year, obviously, but the, the jury were, were um, Ben's eyes are darting from left to right here. He's, he's going through the memory banks. He's having to think. I'm going through jury scandal stories because there are a few years this could apply to. Yeah, <laughs> where they were a little bit... Well, the jury were, let's say, disappointed about having the selection of animated feature films at Annecy that year uh, to the point that they were going to boycott any kind of voting, which we were like, oh, this sounds interesting. This is spicy. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but they went through with it anyway. Chickens. But yeah. <laughs> well, I remember um, that year being frustrating because there was a film that should have been a Cristal winner that was playing out of competition. At Annecy, and I think that the logic for putting that film out of competition that bugged me. But you know, I wasn't on the jury; it wasn't my call anyway. But yeah, it was. I, I do remember that being kind of irritating because we didn't watch all of the features, but the ones we did watch were pretty crap, as I recall. <laughs> but better times now. You know, th- feature films are being made. You go to places like Cartoon Movie or or you know anywhere, and you can see that you know deals are being made and. Uh, you know, independent feature films, the type of thing that you don't see at the, the multiplex or, you know, the, you're more likely to see at your local independent place are thriving, which is great to see. Mm-hmm. I don't know whether that's a good point for me to have a go at Brexit now. I don't know. I do want to move on <laughs> to something a bit, a bit more, uh, a bit more palatable, Ben. How do you feel about having a go at Brexit? What do you reckon? 
Uh, if you've got a, a Brexit rant in you, who am I to limit your range of expression? Well, thank you very much. If it turns out, crap, I can just edit it out later. Oh, great. But that won't be the case. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the things that we've that we've seen, obviously, we're, we're members of quite a few groups on on uh, you know on on social media, and we've got lots of friends uh, in in industry that have shared this news. Is that um, obviously uh, cartoon movies coming up next year? But there's a, a letter that's been circulated, which is something of a boilerplate answer that a fair few producers uh, based in the UK have been have been given, which outlines the fact that. Due to Brexit, um, creative uh, Europe media, which the UK is no longer a part of, have made a, uh, have made a brand new regulation where the United Kingdom has been removed from the list of countries that can participate in cartoon movie. So if you're a UK filmmaker with a feature idea, uh, as a main partner to a um, to a production company, you're not eligible for any of of Cartoon Media's events. That's not the fault of Cartoon Media. That's not the fault of Creative Europe Media. That's the fault of Brexit. That's the fault, the fault of, of everyone's nan. It's the fault of everyone's <laughs> nan. It, and, and and it is as well. It would be it would be quite easy to have a go at cartoon here and 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 say what are you playing at you know why do you hate the uk why do you yeah blah 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 but we've we've the uk has engineered a situation where we are now excluded from participating in in events where huge sums of money can create work in the uk and we know and we have had them on the podcast before we've had you know, production companies that have benefited from cartoon uh, events. And it's such a shame that TV series, feature films, other like, you know, transmedia, VR, anything that gets made on any of these events from the UK can no longer be a part of this this ask for money. We can no longer get European money for, for stuff. That's such a kick in the teeth, given that... Um, you know, creative Europe media, it's it's not bound by regions. It's not like they go up to the border and say, if you're over this border, you're not a part of it. Because Montenegro and um, Switzerland, who are not part of, of, of the European Union, are members of creative Europe media. So... The UK government have made a decision for us not to be a part of this. And it's, yeah, it's irritating, to say the least. To say the least. Yeah. It's completely expected. I sort of figured that these types of funding streams, potential funding streams, would be the first on the chopping block. I figured this would actually be more emotion last year, Mm. to be honest. I'd already started to see, you know, what had been festivals open to Europe kind of make that determining thing of like, okay, well, no, not EU then, as far as we're concerned, not Europe. And so then festivals I'd had a pretty clement relationship with were now just not an option for me anymore. And then markets started to follow. Well, two. So, you know, technically I can pluralize that. And again, one of them had been one where I had quite a bit of success selling 
stuff over the years. And so it's like, okay, well, here we are. And there is a sense on the one hand, yeah, we f- I feel like we're being kind of punished for someone else's misguided but very wide-reaching decisions as regards the future of our nation. By the way, the percentage of them now who are like, well, this isn't what I voted for. <laughs> well, it was, it was, it was as far as we were concerned. Like we were, we were we the only ones paying attention. I voted for more flags. I, I voted for <laughs> more flags, and what's happened is we're getting less flags. They've taken the flags away from the European Parliament. What's happened here? <laughs> you know what? Hey, my Zen takeaway from this is it's a few more slots for other European creatives to, you know, be in with a chance. If at the end of the day the work is good, I'm all for it. You know, it's sad that, you know, there are some amazing people who would have potentially, you know, been working, been being paid for the work that they do. But I'm sure that equally amazing people will be there in their stead. But yeah, there's a sadness. It's just, it's, it's seeing it finally kind of, you know, made real. Yeah, and it's exactly as we thought. Yeah. Exactly as we thought. I mean, that's, that's a good takeaway. And, and, you know, fingers crossed there is some sort of replacement fund for the UK because, uh, you know, we do need it. We do need to get our ideas out there as much as anyone else. And, uh, fingers crossed, we, we're we not, you know, we as the creative community, which I think something like 96, 97% voted against uh, leaving the European Union. I hope that's recognised and I hope that, you know, our friends in Europe remain our friends and we can, you know, strike distribution deals and make sure that work is being shared and things like that because it's important. It's important that yeah. we continue to, you know, embrace culture and make the most of things like this. And it is a shame that it's gone this way, but... Once again, it's no fault but your own, you know. What can we do? <laughs> we still like you guys. Yes, we love you. Speaking of contentious, world-changing developments and whatnot, something else that caught my eye on the math program is the NFT talk. Yeah. Which I thought was interesting. What kind of uh, prompted you to go down that route? That's interesting as well, yeah. I, I, um, I have to be really careful here because... Um, Math, obviously, as a as a platform, has been approached by a fair few people who are into NFTs, and you know they they want to speak to our audience. They want to understand animators, and they want to get animators to engage in this type of thing. And we've been, uh, you know, uh, approached a couple of times or a few times, and and I've always kind of thought, well, no. I, I don't think so. Um, personally, I've always been kind of sceptical of NFTs. I'm, I think it's fair to say. Um, but I've always wanted to find out more about them. I've always wanted to know more about them. And I think we're at a point in in our kind of knowledge where we've crossed something of a threshold where they're here whether you like them or not. And you might as well go into it informed. And so the point of the festival is obviously to inform people and to give people the kind of knowledge as to where, where everything is. And so I think we've got a pretty balanced panel um, for this one. We've got somebody who actually runs a company and and, and, and is in, involved in NFT and can tell us anything they like about NFTs. We've got uh, a tech journalist who who uh, will uh, who understands these things inside out for better, for worse as well. I must say, and we've got an artist on board who I greatly respect and is somebody who, for me, 
it wasn't the NFT companies getting in touch saying, I want to do a panel. It was this artist who, when I saw that they were involved in NFT, I thought, ah, well, there must be a spectrum here. It's not all crooks, which my Twitter feed, <laughs> I, my Twitter feed is, is just full of people calling NFTs crooks mm-hmm. and saying, um, because it was a spl- explosion at the beginning of the year, wasn't it? Where people were saying, yeah. I've had my work nicked. I've had this happen. I've had that happen. And I got in touch with all those people and said, what happened? Do you want to talk, you know, do you want to talk about it? And they were like, well, no, I, I don't. I, I'm, I, I feel a little bit, I'd feel a little bit on display if I spoke about it publicly on a panel, you know? So it's easy to see people have a go on, on Twitter, but I think they're a little bit concerned that, I don't know. There's something there, isn't there? There's a, there's a, I don't know how better to describe it, Ben. Maybe there's a sort of slight sense that maybe I'm not a hundred percent informed. Yeah. So I don't want to, I could see that. Yeah. Uh, I'm certainly still pretty clueless, but I have definitely picked up on like, if you want to get your fan base to like have a shit fit, start (laughs) talking about selling NFTs of, of your, your characters or whatever. That does seem to be an immediate, like, negative reaction prompting thing. Well, we got There's one of the, the today, first, negative, first negative tweet we ever got on on math was was when we put the NFT thing up and somebody just went straight for it, uh, <laughs> straight for the jugular, as is their right, you know, and, and that's the point. It's supposed to be a debate. But for me, obviously, when uh, it's Ainsley Henderson that's coming to, to talk as the artist on this panel, and and... He's involved in in NFTs, uh, but he uses a platform which is supposedly uh, ecologically friendly, you know, so um, that kind of waylays that. And he, we had this fantastic conversation about about NFTs. And I thought, well, I can see I can see a spectrum here of, of NFT as opposed to it all being, you know, loaded in favor of people who are just, you know, crypto bros. There's people who who are entering this willingly and uh, they they're summiting it for them so it's going to be interesting it's going to be a really interesting conversation one of the things that we've got to go alongside this which is this is a bit of a a call to arms for the uh, squiggly listeners is we've got a survey that we're doing because this is part of animated answers which is our kind of um question time but for animators so if you've got any questions on nfts you can watch the the session live and ask your questions but be- ahead of time, we're putting out a, seat, uh, a survey for people to fill in to let us know what they think about NFT. Now, it doesn't matter whether you're, you're into NFT or you've never touched NFT. I want to know what you think about it. I want to know how you feel about them. Are they confusing? Are they? Do you think that they're scams? Do you think that they're wonderful? Do you think that they democratize um, the, the way that the internet works? Do you think that it's restrictive? Tell me what you think about NFTs in this survey. So that's that's going out online soon. So get on the math website and get involved in that. Um, and that's one of those surveys where you can fill it in with as, as politely as you wish or the opposite way. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be interesting seeing what people think about that. But yeah, as you say, Ainsley is, um, he's has tremendous merit as an artist and certainly, you know, of all the people to hear from, you know, he's not going to be selling your snake oil. Definitely. Um, in fact, I feel I feel like I'm, you know, as as a sort of as as somebody programming these events. I think it's that is that is like um, getting Ainsley Henderson on a panel to talk about NFT, like one tiny aspect of his of his tremendous <laughs> work. It's like it's like driving a Ferrari to the 
shops, isn't it? It's you know, it's, it's just just going twenty miles an hour in it. Yeah, I feel like I'm wasting his uh, his math appearance, but we'll definitely get him back for something because he's uh, he's brilliant. I have a feeling next year, if he's done with the project he's working on uh, at the moment. I would say that's probably a certainty. Like that's looking oh, really, amazing, really interesting. Anyone doesn't follow him on on Twitter, uh, it's it's well worth following Ainsley Henderson on Twitter because he's got this fantastic uh, project he's working on at the moment where he's using natural light and stop motion, and it just looks gorgeous, doesn't it? Yeah, and the the production is like seasonally dependent. What a thing to put yourself through <laughs> <laughs> as, a, as a stop motion animator. Yeah, but all the tests and everything, they're, they're looking really spectacular. Yeah. And he's another uh, director who, like we were talking about, Nikki and Mark and Emma, and uh, like people whose films really stay with you. He's definitely in that class as well. And, you know, Will, who he has you know, worked in, with in the past. Will's films are fantastic yeah. and real sort of um, cut above. As are, and I suppose this could link into this episode's guest, the fine fellows who make up Parabella. I believe still, I think Parabella is still a going concern. Uh, certainly, they are a directorial duo for a new Ardman project, which is coming out on Netflix soon. And this is also getting some attention at math. Uh, Robin Robin. Indeed. Yeah. So that's uh, Mikey Please and Dan Ojari. This is this is really exciting for me. I think Mikey Please is one of the first interviews I ever did for Squiggly, way back in the day, at that first Annecy, because he was um, he was showing off his um, graduation film, which was the Eagleman Stag, which uh, people will remember as the the gorgeous film that everyone looked at and went, "How the he- what what the heck is going on here? What's this made out of?" Um, yeah. They both. Um, uh, Mikey and Dan, whose graduation film was uh, Slow Derek, I believe it was called. They've got such a way with light and colour in their films and such a, a delicate and and uh, soft approach to, to visuals. But they tell such compelling kind of human stories within them. And yeah, so, so it's really exciting that they've teamed up with Ardman and with a stellar cast of... Um, you know, absolute favourites, you know, Richard E. Grant, you've got um, Gillian Anderson, you've got all these kind of marvellous actors involved in this show-stopping Christmassy, uh, you know, special, which, yeah, Robin Robin looks absolutely tremendous. It's interesting how it, you know, we were talking about the possibility of, like, House drawing upon the films that we know the directors for. Now, I would say that probably the films that... A lot of people know Mikey and Dan for would be Eagleman Stag and Slow Derek, Marilyn Miller, and they've done a lot of commercial work since. Now, to me, this felt a lot more like it was drawing upon the commercial projects, hmm. especially a couple of spots they did for the Belgian lottery. Do you remember those? Yes. Yes, I do now. Yeah. And at the time, I remember thinking, wow, this is a real like style shift for these guys because their student films and uh, and Marilyn Miller and some of their other earlier work black and white or monochrome palettes kind of metaphysical in the storytelling very super super dry wit they d- both definitely had a sort of it felt like a really sort of like specific style and a filmmaking voice and they've really kind of spread their wings with the commercial stuff they've done another thing 
that uh, I really like of that is it's on TV every once in a while. It's like, a, I think it's live action puppets, but it's like a sort of Wicker Man tribute on E4. It's one of the idents. That's really lovely. Like it's just, it's very short and sweet, but it sort of, it has this perfect cute sinister vibe to it. They did stuff for Bake Off, which, you know, do you remember the stop motion Bake Off thing? And, um, what was the thing with, um, it was pixelation. It was a woman in a street. Oh, it was the Twining's tea advert, where not the all, tea, everything's yeah, yeah. made out of the tabs on the end of a tea bag. Uh, and, yeah. and there was that, that amazing puddle step that I remembered. And, yeah, and yeah, yeah. there was like a behind the scenes clip where basically it's a woman standing in a puddle. Big deal. If this was live action, whatever. <laughs> but this is animation. So let's get excited. Um, and they made this kind of ripple effect using a, um, some sort of mechanism. Uh, which is as far as I can go to describe it, but it looked absolutely marvellous. They also did some licorice all sorts as well, I remember. Oh, yeah. And um, I feel, was Nina Gantz involved in those as well, or am I misremembering? Yeah, Nina Gantz and uh, Simon Cartwright teamed up for a for a kind of a spot on that as well. But yeah, certainly like, you know, animals gambling through uh, wintry scenes, you know, snow falling, the warm hearth. That's definitely, you know, something that has been channeled more into this Ardman special. Or I should maybe say Ardman short. I was uh, politely admonished for referring to it as a special, which I think is kind of forgivable because it's very clearly a special. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And also, like, Ardman and Netflix have, like, separately referred to it as a special, but I think they are now trying to kind of steer people more toward considering it to be a short. So I'm putting that out there in the universe. I kind of feel like, given the length, it's like half an hour, I would have felt like special would be a better term in terms of its eligibility for awards categories. But also you have the words Christmas... And you think of Christmas special. Uh, yeah. You'd call, you would call you might call The Snowman a short film, but you're more likely to call it a Christmas special. And I think if you do yeah. call something a Christmas special, then it has that kind of classic, you know, always going to be on the TV, something to look forward to, vibe to it. And I think there's no pride. I, I wouldn't see a problem in calling it a special. But if Hardman say it's a short, Ben, then let's just say it's not special. Well, this was more from the Netflix end. Netflix. Okay. So maybe that's something to do with how they kind of define their content. Mm-hmm. I just not to question why. Yeah. But uh, the film's the same. Yeah. Whichever way you present it, I suppose. Uh, it's coming out quite a bit before Christmas, actually. It's going to be late November. But yeah, I mean, Christmas is definitely, you know, it's a key component of it. In a sense. It's about a family of mice who uh, have adopted a robin, essentially, and raised her to be, you know, a scavenger like they are. And being a robin and not really being, you know, as adept at sneaking around tight corners and stuff as mice are, she gets into some scrapes. And uh, from there, we begin our tale. Uh, have you seen this one yet? I've not seen the whole thing, but I was, uh, you know, I was very privileged to be invited to the, the press day that they had uh, a few months ago, which was really nice, uh, you know, to hear from the cast, to hear from the producers, to hear from the musicians as well. Um uh, it 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 is going to be something special. It 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 already looks special, and um, I think Mikey and Dan inject a real joy into the work they do, and I think a, a joy for the craft. I think is fair to say, uh, which which shines through, and you just 
need to look at any image that's been released to this film. I remember when the original image was released about two years ago. Do you remember when it when it came through into the uh, to, through to Squiggly? And I was like, "Oh, that looks amazing! Wow, is this artwork? Oh no, it's an image. It's a photograph. Blimey!" Mm. And it was it, it it you know the way that it was lit, the way that it just looked so so perfect. Uh, and and every image that they've released since has has just echoed that. But yeah, um, I'm I'm really looking forward to it. So yeah, like I said, fantastic cast. You've got um, uh, Bronte Carmichael as as Robin. Uh, you've got Adil uh, Akhtar as the Dad Mouse. Um, still one of the one of the best cinema experiences I ever had was uh, was was thanks to that gentleman there. Um, Richard E. Grant is the the magpie who's a real thesp uh, in this, uh, and Gillian Anderson. Uh, as the cat who just uh, who's, who's the villain of the piece, obviously uh, a film which stars mice and a tiny bird. Obviously, the cat is going to be the villain. Um, but yeah, she's uh, you know she purrs her way through it. She's absolutely wonderful. It's nice to kind of have her be in something animation and not just saying one word occasionally. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and yeah, Richard E. Grant, <laughs> as he said, you know he um, he kind of throws himself into it. I think his scenes. And his character and the acting and performance that his character has were probably the sort of standout moments to me. Like, I think he really kind of um, stole the show, in a sense. Yeah. It's interesting with the overall approach to the voice acting. Like, I'll be honest, not all of it was really up my alley, but it's more to do with, I don't really like ASMR. You know, that thing of, like, how people really love, like, just being whispered at. I don't like that that much. I kind of find it annoying. (laughs) And there's a lot of whispery dialogue in this, especially the dad mouse who, uh, is that the guy you were mentioning? Yeah. That you, yeah, there were lots of scenes where I'm like, why is he whispering? Like, it makes sense when they're sneaking around a house, but then when they're back home, he's still like, well, speak up. Yeah. So I don't know. I guess he was just sort of in, in quiet mouse mode. Uh, <laughs> I imagine it's probably the point is to kind of give you that sense of, you know, it, it gives it a very calm atmosphere, certainly. Mm. But there are a couple of moments where, you know, the action kind of builds up and there's some lovely, you know, bits of slapstick and tension and peril and stuff like that. And, and maybe in certain instances of that, there could have been more like emphatic performance. But if you have to kind of mine the sound mix for criticisms, it probably shows that the overall product is doing a good job. Well, there it is. Yeah, absolutely. It, it just looks so great. I'm really looking forward to this, uh, to seeing the final thing. I mean, that's three kind of big and brilliant entities coming together. Artman, Parabella and Netflix. It's, uh, it's what we've all dreamed of for years on this, uh, on this podcast. So, uh, yeah, loads to look forward to there. I think that the point you made about like how the, the still kind of looked almost sort of unreal. That was something that, Maybe it was because I was watching it through an HDMI, but there was a quality, I think, to the grade that I'm not sure if detracted is the right word. It, it certainly gave everything this kind of feel that could almost be interpreted as like when they try and make CG look like stop motion. And I think it's because like maybe the lenses now are picking up so much detail. When we're looking at live action stop motion, we're looking at it with a crispness that CG was was conveying before, but we could sort of identify it immediately. And I don't think that, to me, my aging eyeballs, it wasn't as immediately identifiable. 
So there were lots of instances where I had to sort of like keep reminding myself, oh, no, I'm watching something that's practical effects. And, you know, these are analog processes for the most part. I, I saw some comments on like the YouTube trailer as well of like people saying, you know, oh, the graphics are so great and not really realizing, you know, what they were even looking at. Yeah. And that's almost a shame in a sense. But, you know, again, I suppose you know, it's, it's indicative of them putting together a really slick product. But sometimes maybe, you know, that rustic thing is kind of you know what i really i remember from the uh belgian lottery ads was there were these little moments here and there where you were instantly like oh this is mike and dan it was how they used the styrofoam snow mm. and that was like oh this is eagleman stag you know this is um that vibe and there isn't really stuff like that in this it's more you know there's some style things happening that are not like you wouldn't look at it and think oh that's Ardman through and through but the, i think maybe there are more sort of like conventional approaches to certain like certain production design elements that perhaps they would have thought of things doing things a bit differently in their older work or their other commissioned work that was just an observation really it wasn't a criticism i think what you were saying there about the snow in the belgian lottery ad and 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 from what i've seen so far is is maybe there's something of an evolution in this film is they do use similar techniques they use different techniques there's a shot in this trailer uh, the the recently released trailer, which uh, which you can see on Squiggly, and nowhere else. By the by the way, there's no <laughs> other no other websites that you can see the trailer. Go on Squiggly.com. But um, there's there's a shot where the the shed explodes, which is when you look at it and realise that that type of thing's stop motion, mm. and yeah, just have to think to yourself, wow, that is everything that we love about stop motion. But yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward to this one. This is this is going to be great. And, uh, yeah, let's hear what they have to say, shall we? Fantastic. Here's Mikey, please, and Dan O'Jari speaking with Squiggly's Laura Beth Cowley. How long had you been sitting on the idea for Robin Robin, and how did it end up in front of the folks at Ardman? Like, like a nice, warm idea egg that we would... Um, what's the word? What's turn, the we'd sort of turn it every now and again. Um, incubate. How long have you been incubating the egg? Of Robin Robin beneath our story bottoms. I don't know. I think it was, it was, I mean, from when we sort of like devised the, the sort of the clear, the sort of the plot and the sort of overall story, it was probably like about three or four years, do you reckon? Yeah, a long time. A long time. The, 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 the initial sort of germ of the idea came about in a relatively short amount of time, but then. We yeah had many years of or- orally telling that story to various people, and it wasn't until we could sort of get to the end of it without that person walking away that we thought it's ready to <laughs> pitch. Um, and then we took it to Annecy and very luckily bumped into Sarah Cox in the canteen. When then what happened then? <laughs> <laughs> well, we before that we'd. We'd been, we'd sort of put a little story synopsis booklet together, which um, there's a bunch of different uh, ideas that we were developing. And we found that it's a really nice way to, to kind of, uh, I don't know, be able to clearly communicate an idea or a story. Um, so we had this kind of little story synopsis book. I think we also had a script, like a really sort of rough script and um, some concept art, but we we hadn't gone to Annecy to like pitch the idea or anything. We just we bumped into her and we we just sort of 
I don't know, just got chatting and we're like, oh, we've got this this Christmas special and uh, and just sort of quite informally started pitching it. But then as we as we were pitching it, I think because we told it so much and because we were so enthusiastic about the idea, um, it just sort of, I don't know, I guess Sarah probably picked up on that, that enthusiasm from us. And um, we got more and more enthusiastic <laughs> until I think I fully burst into song uh, of one of the musical numbers <laughs> in the ca- in the canteen, kneeling at her feet. <laughs> <laughs> that's how all good pictures yeah. should go. Yeah, yeah, I think that's really actually We've, what happened. We yeah. found if you do jazz hands at the end of your pitch, it really yeah, the, the paid, success rate is a lot higher. We had paid someone to write off sparklers <laughs> as well, which um, helped. Yeah. But it was it was just nice because I guess I guess yeah, it it was. It, it was something that we like genuinely really loved as a as an an idea and a and a sort of story. So uh, I think that helped it when we pitched it. And and Sarah sort of seemed to instantly get on board with that and be as enthusiastic. And then and then it was actually quite quick from then that we we took it to Ardman. Um, we we pitched it via Ardman to to Netflix. Um, and 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 equally they kind of liked liked it as well <laughs> seemingly <Perfect. laughs> quite shocking so like what why is this going yeah. so well it, this it, is took, very it took um probably about six months of sarah saying we're not joking for us to take her seriously because we thought it was so preposterous somehow the idea that we would actually get to sort of make this film at, at ardman for netflix was so sort of ridiculous that, that it really did take about six months of sarah saying no, no, seriously, just sort of at the end of every email. Seriously, <laughs> <laughs> I I know that like both of you always have like multiple projects on the go at any one time. So, how did you structure your time during this production? Well, I, I suppose I mean when we started, well, so so on this project, I guess all our other sort of generally all our other <laughs> projects that we've been developing and and then you know there's like a comic book and a, um animated um like series or a pilot that we've made and um, they kind of went on the back burner because it's, it's it was a very i mean we suddenly realized that it was a very ambitious project and what we wanted to do um within the time that we had was really ambitious so it was a real like yeah, there wasn't much room to kind of develop other stuff no. during it. <laughs> there, there, was no, there was no structure. It and, was a sort of monopoly. Yeah. And I would say, I mean, because it's in trying to tell, you know, really it was kind of almost like a feature amount of story sort of refined down into half an hour. We had a very um, strict like t- time limit on the, on the um, film it sort of makes it, there's no baggage to kind of like go, oh, well, that seems all right. Like we can leave that in. It's kind of fun. And it's sort of the, the amount of the work that we had to do to make it very neat and, and a very clear story was, was actually sort of colossal in, in sort of where we, where we started from, which was like a really nice, like setup of a Robin being brought up by a family of mice. And we had sort of the main plot, um, sort of, I guess the plot figured out of the overarching story. But it, it wasn't until we kind of got into, like, right, we want to make this as like an animated musical and, and a really tight story. You realise there's just, you know, it was like two and a half years of 
constant the <laughs> brain is constantly whirling yeah, away, yeah just trying to make this puzzle fit yeah. and be as as neat as it can be even so. right into shooting it you're sort of just with the butcher's knife and you know chopping chopping scenes out or seeing if you can get away with less you can give more time to moments you know we're right down to the very kind of last week of edit, you know, you're sort of trading frames. You're like, yeah, we just wish we had more frames <laughs> <laughs> to put in. But, um, yeah, so I, I would say, yeah, we didn't really work on other stuff. <laughs> <laughs> it's short answer. So on that, the kind of the use of needle felt is yet another new material. Oh, they're cute. Uh, for you <laughs> yeah. both. Uh, what did you feel this way of, making puppets brought to this kind of specific design that you had for this world that the film lives within? Well, it was interesting, yeah, because we were trying, I think the, the look of the characters is down to a couple of things, which is one, the, the needle felt technique, which has a real charm and sort of tactile nature to it, and a kind of warmth to the way that it lights. And it's very endearing as a material. But then there was also Matt Forsyth, who was our character designer and, um, and production designer. Um, and, and the kind of... The, the visual approach that he brought to the character design um, was really, yeah, we, we really loved the kind of 2D bold shapes that he brought to his character design. So I think it's the two of those together that give the, you know, the characters their very like. Yeah, and and of course the the, the Flynn twins who um, Nathan yeah. and Joshua Flynn who then translated Matt's drawings into 3D 3D models. So and and Anne King the the, the puppet uh, supervisor here at Ardman. So it's, it is a lot of people, you know, it's sort of a lot of people I think who contribute to that, the sort of one design. Um, and yeah, absolutely. The, the, the needle felting certainly brought a, a warmth and groundingness, groundingness, not the word. It was quite, it was quite nice to sort <laughs> grounded, of, uh, material. With, with stop motion, there's so many, you know, there's only so many ways you can, you can sort of render characters that, that still retain the a material that's very clear how it's made and um and we found that if you if you lose what the material is or the texture a bit of the magic of the of stop motion is lost because you can't see you know it could, if it's too clean it could be digitally made you know and, and if you push the production values and they're very clean uh, puppets then you do fall into the kind of thing of like losing the, the charm of stop motion so so that was something that we found i mean it wasn't the, the reason why we chose it but it was something we found as we went through that we could push the production values really high and it would never feel i don't think it ever feels like it's sort of cg or something like that because because at the center of the screen is this sort of like hand, clearly handmade um, felted thing generally you have more of a kind of hands-on doing every aspect part of your film in the past what was it like to sort of work with such a big team and what were the challenges of that it sort of depends how far back you go in the past where we where we would sort of do most most aspects of it but i i guess you know there has been a sort of a, a gradient of of projects leading up to this where we've sort of worked with you know progressively larger teams um, but, yeah. but, but you know this this was certainly like the, the the biggest team we've we've worked with but but yeah you know I, i'd say n neither of us have made anything completely on our own ever <laughs> you know so all animation that i think 
pretty much uh, well not of course not all animation but most animation is is a process of collaborating so you know that that communication skill and and being relatively personable <laughs> and like able to um take on other people's ideas and and sort of be a a, a crossroads for um you know many different creative people is uh yeah it, it, it's, it's a skill that's sort of gradually grown and hopefully uh works <laughs> I, th I think yeah because it is a really good point i think if we'd have gone from just making our own like you know where you're working with maybe a couple of people in the first films so, so that's it would have been horrendous <laughs> or, or it would have been because of the time frame we had as well it was like you know you, you are dropped in and you there's a, there's a huge team of people that you're working with but we'd been fortunate enough to have you know bit by bit a bit more experience with that and i think really what it makes you do is you have to understand what you're doing and i rather than if you're making your own thing and you're kind of like figuring it out as you go along you've got that time to kind of maybe not you know if you're making a character you might kind of not know what you're doing but you're sculpting and you're kind of testing it out whereas when you're working with other people you, you know you it's your role is to be clear and, and to sort of um yeah yeah but but, but luckily i think the, the Ardman team and, and the people here are so used to um it, it being a very like sort of cr creatively led production so that kind of R&D in that experimenting phase is, is sort of built into yeah. the production. You know, you're never, there's not really the, you know, which you can get the feeling of like, well, you tried this route and it wasn't perfect first time. You're like, well, of course it's not, <laughs> you know, of course uh, m mistakes aren't a, a byproduct. They kind of are the central part of the process. You have to try something wrong 50 times in order for you to get to something right. So, you know, l luckily there is that culture here of... Um, it's very, yeah, it's, it's quite, it was quite satisfying to, to come to a place that's very organised around, you know, um, create, you know, creating something like this. So we, we could sort of, I don't know, <laughs> come here with, with, with our experience, but then there's like, there's a real like infrastructure for how to, how to work with um, these groups of, you know, different departments and these people, so... So I guess kind of on that cultural side of things, the animated Christmas special is a bit of a golden goose in terms of legacy, uh, especially at Ardman. How do you feel your contribution will sit against other greats in this particular subsection of films? <laughs> it's going to defeat them all. Yes, that's the, what we set what? out to make. <laughs> to trample them into No, I mean, it would... It would um... Just the fact that it's on the same... You know, for for you know, just for this Christmas, that it's on the same stage as those ones is is amazing, and so it's just quite surreal. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how <laughs> it goes down. But it's it's really lovely to make something for like a family audience, and I think that's something that is we've both found just really, just really exciting. We've got young families ourselves, but also if you're making it as for family audience, and you want obviously you want to love it yourself, but, but because it's in that parameters of family film you know hopefully if you make something that, that mm. people like it, it kind of resonates with lots of I, people i think i think if we had gone into it thinking about 
how it would stand up against other Christmas specials, we, we would never have made it because that would be such a daunting, horrifying thought. <laughs> so instead, thinking about it on a very, very small scale, which I think is basically like, will our, you know, we've, we've, we've both got kind of five-year-old kids, like, will, will they like it? And like, can I sit with it and watch it and enjoy it? And and will it represent that sort of feeling of of Christmasness and that sort of warmth of you know family entertainment, which we both want and and enjoy, you know that that perspective on making it is um, probably where we're <laughs> we're coming from because that's manageable and understandable and not daunting. Yeah. Have your kids seen it yet? And what do they think of that? Oh, yeah, yeah. thousands of times, hundreds of times. Sick. <laughs> sick of it, and yet they're still keen for more. They can't stop. So many layers, like an um, Yeah, they, yeah, they've watched. I mean, and in in its various forms as well, because we, you know, we most often watch have a have a reel to watch at the end of each week to kind of see where we're at with the animatic and as you're filming stuff. So, um, yeah, it, it was really nice. We had the the premiere um, a few a few weeks back and. Um, we, that was like with our families and friends, and um, and that was that was a great moment to watch it. A new, it sort of felt like a very fresh viewing of it um, for ourselves as well. And um, just because I think when you know that most of the people in the audience have not seen it before and they have no uh, like preconceptions about it, you kind of you're more in the moment when you watch it. So that was that was really fun. Mm. There's obviously quite a, a huge, talented voice cast behind it. Did you always have these specific people in mind for characters, or were they just some really nice surprises along the way? I think there's a mixture of both. Yeah, it was a bit. I mean, because we we started the project with with quite a clear plot, um, so the char- all the characters weren't like super defined. So there was a there was a it was a big process of like figuring out who these characters were and whether you know whether the story in them like lay and also what was just endearing and funny about them. So I think Magpie and Richard E. Richard e. Grant was like quite an early reference for Magpie. Um, and I mean, we still did, like explored lots of different routes of who Magpie might be. And it was like a very gruff character that was very prickly or, but, um, but as soon as we kind of tried out the script, reading it, like uh, Richard E. Grant, <laughs> you realize he was just like, he's, He's just sort of the the comic relief of the whole film, and and he and he sort of, sort of in 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 lots of scenes really steals the show. Um, so I think he was he was one that we had sort of uh, pinned up on our like mood board of like who this character is quite early on. Um, and I guess the others though just you know uh, Bronte Carmichael who we um, who plays Robin um, we we sort of. She, she auditioned for it um, amongst a, a, a bunch of other auditions and has really stood out. It's just really endearing and funny and warm. Um, as soon as we put those voices next to the puppets and we do little screen tests of them, I guess how you might do with a live action actor where you put them in front of the camera and get them to embody the, the character. But because you can't do that with animation unless you get them to put their voice within the body of the puppet. And so with, with each of the castings, we'd do a little test before we were like, okay, that's, that, that's it. And they were, they were fantastic because sometimes you could have a really brilliant audio performance. You just listen to it over headphones like, oh, that was amazing. 
and you put it next to the physical body of the puppet and they're completely disjointed just because you can't believe that the voice would be physically inside of that visual thing you're seeing. And so with each of the characters, we were sort of waiting for that moment where like, ah, yes, that, the, the physicality of the puppet and the, the audio nature of the, the voice sit together. And so, yeah, there was a moment where we saw Bronte's little um, video test with, with the puppet and it was very exciting. It's like, ah, there she is. She's been in our minds for like <laughs> so many years and there's, there she is for real. <laughs> even though she's just talking about, oh yeah, I just knocked over my books. So, or, you know, it, was, it wasn't even a bit of script. It, it, it sort of felt a bit like creature but... comfort sort of, because it was, we asked her to just do some like, just chat about themselves and so it was a bit bumbly and so it felt really like you were meeting the character not that you know not a scripted character and we mm. did we did that with um richard e grant with um a scene from with nail and i and i think Gillian anderson um it's from I can't, a scary detective it's like a, shows. yeah it's like a thriller it's... dark thriller she's and it's this really intense performance that we asking yeah and it, oh, lo- and it was just so powerful and like, oh wow yeah. Um, and yeah, and a deal actor who plays Dad Mouse um, has just been. I mean, actually, he was he was sort of um, someone that we were thinking about, and ma- even for Magpie early on, we were just thinking because he's just such a. I mean, uh, in so many things we've seen him in, it's got such a brilliant humour and pathos and warmth to him. So we, yeah, he was he was someone that we really wanted to work with, and then when we realised that he would be perfect for Dad, um, and he said yes, that was a dream as well. Great. So I saw this morning that there's a kind of a tie-in book, which looks really lovely. Moving forward, what are your plans, either with Robin Robin or future work, either together with Ardman or separately? <laughs> well, there's the theme park. Um, <laughs> yeah. Robin Robin World. Robin be like Robin the World. egg fall ride. Where you <laughs> start off with the egg. That's right. It's you like roll down the branch. <laughs> and you're eaten by a cat at the end. Well, I mean, it's, it's a bit too early to say specifically, but of course, Robin Robin is a world in which we would love to sort of tell other stories. And, you know, there are, there are sort of more characters in the world that we sort of touch a little bit on. And um, yeah, we, we're certainly like very excited to tell more stories in this world um, should the opportunities present themselves. Thank you, Mikey Please and Dan Ujari, the directors of the new Ardman short Robin Robin, which will be on Netflix from November the 24th. Of course, you can also catch Making of Robin Robin at Manchester Animation Festival. Is this online or is there an in-person thing as well? Yeah, so that you can watch that whenever you like from Sunday the 14th. Uh, and then on Wednesday the 17th of November, four o'clock in the afternoon, we've got a live Q&A. So you can do your impression of Squiggly and put your questions to uh, Mikey and Dan. Uh, and if you miss that, that's available until the 30th of November. So two Robin Robin events at MAF. Wonderful stuff. In the spirit of Christmas coming earlier and earlier each year, it's not even Halloween, of course, and you know I'm getting Christmas carols and Asda. Yeah. Well, now Squiggly <laughs> are doing it in our podcasts. So yeah, your, your Christmas animation podcast is here well, well in advance. So you're, you're, you're prepared. Absolutely. It just, it's just an early excuse to watch uh, Nightmare Before Christmas, you know, as early as you can. Exactly. What else has happened in the world of animation? Oh, something I did catch. This also, I think, could tie in with a Manchester event 
Uh, I had a watch of the first episode of Maya and the Three. Mm. I thought that was stupendous. Yeah. <laughs> I, I really enjoyed that. It was really funny. Uh, it was really high energy. I think it's probably one of, it's probably the best thing he's done. Yeah, absolutely. What'd you make of it? Well, we've got um, Jorge Gutierrez and Sandra Kiwa coming to math. I'm sorry to mention in math again, everybody. Um, it's it's one podcast a year. Give me that. Uh, <laughs> but but um, we got them coming to math. And, and uh, obviously, you book these things well in advance. I hadn't seen anything from Maya the Three besides, you know, Sneaky Peaks and everything. But I had seen Jorge and Sandra's other work. And so I thought, these guys would be great for the fellowship. Let's invite them to the festival. So you, it's sort of a risk. You know, when you decide to do this, when you decide to do any event for a festival, for stuff you've not seen, and then it comes through, and then you watch it, and you're like, not only am I enjoying what has been slavered across my eyeballs <laughs> in, just in such glory, but uh, I'm, yeah, I'm very delighted that we, we got them now, because Maya in the Three is absolute showstopper, isn't it? It's so kind of bombastic and bold and funny and expressive and you know the characters are just uh, incredible they're they're like these big moving sculptures the character design approaches yeah uh, uh, yeah it's among the best i've ever seen yeah it's such a great range it all works in the same world and it's just really gratifying to look at them move and perform but it shouldn't this is the thing Mm. It shouldn't work because you think about appeal in animation or you think about staging in animation. And yet you've got a character who's basically three giant ornate wardrobes stitched together next to this petite, <laughs> tiny woman who he's acting with and moving around and, and, and doing all these jumps and, move, you know, and it shouldn't work. It shouldn't work at all, but it works perfectly. And that's a testament to the, the, you know, the love and the craft and everything else that's gone into it. Um, you know, and, and the animation in this works just as well with the exaggerated movements as it does with the kind of tender and kind of introspective moments as well. I think, you know, that's definitely something that's, that's worth saying. Um, mm. yeah. And, and again, the 3D kind of, you know, you've got these kind of, these insane sculptures that are sort of moving around, covered in all this lavish detail, beads and skulls and, you know, all this asymmetrical design, trinkets, jewellery, everything you could kind of throw at it. Um, it. It should be like a cake with too much frosting, really, mm. shouldn't it? It should make you sick, but it's it's just, it's just delicious. I think that the make or break moment was the reveal of one of the characters, the... Um wizard council leader yes with that that nose <laughs> that's amazing yeah i'm not even going to describe it just like just check it out when it drops it's 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 yeah and again like it shouldn't work that that sort of like disparity of, of design approaches but yet it works perfectly in fact it's going to be on netflix i think by the time this episode goes up, oh, it will right. be, have been on by a couple of, uh, yeah, I think 22nd of October. So yeah, hopefully, um, it's ready to go. Check it out when you're done with this. <laughs> did you, what did you make of the use of the letterbox as well? Oh, In when it's, it, he sort of comes like overlaps. Yeah. 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 That was, that was great. Obviously, that was a nice little kind of like, Oh, <laughs> and th I've not seen that before really in anything mainstream like this is. 
Um, I, I thought that was really exciting and, and a kind of new way of, of, of kind of pushing things. Yeah. And I also think Jorge and Sandra themselves are brilliant in acting as well. There's a brilliant line, which is, I don't know if it's in the first one. I hope it is. But uh, they're talking about the, the King Tekka and his wife are talking about how they fell in love and how she stabbed him when they first met. And he says in a perfect delivery, he goes, I can still fit my finger in the stabby hole. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a, it's delivered in much better, much better way than that, obviously. Um, but yeah, the, the, and there's so much kind of, there's a twist on every ending as well. So episode two, prepare yourself if you've got used to some characters because there's some, there's some absolute twists and turns into what you think's going to happen, what doesn't happen, what you think of some characters, where you think they're going to go, what you think's going to happen. Um, it's, it's an epic and it's great to see as well that they've done like nine episodes of a certain length instead of condensing it into a movie or stretching it out over a series. Um, yeah, I've got loads to say about this, Ben. <laughs> I loved it. I loved it. Well, we also have a review uh, by Martin Warren up on the site, uh, if you want to learn a bit more as well. But yeah, well-deserved fellowship award to Jorge and Sandra. So it's good to see that getting uh, a shout-out. There's one thing we've not mentioned, Ben, about about math, and it's the most important thing. It's more important than anything else that we've mentioned so far. And that's the squiggly animation quiz. My God. <laughs> What's become of me? How is that not the first thing I brought up? <laughs> so that's coming back, isn't it? We're looking forward to that one. It is um, indeed. We're, we're coming up with our torturous rounds. New and improved. <laughs> well, new. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's exciting. I think we're, we're both kind of beavering away at getting that solidified. I think it's already in pretty good shape. But it's sure to drive people absolutely batshit, which is what we're here for. <laughs> and it's a, it's a really, it's a good system that you've kind of um, uh, unearthed for like the, squ- the quiz interface. Um, I think people will dig it. So, yeah. Yeah. We got, so people have to play on their phones, which is, which goes against all kind of quiz formats. You're not allowed to use your phone, but no, we're insisting that you, you watch the quiz, obviously on, um, uh, you know, whatever devices you're using. Uh, but yeah, you need a phone as well to kind of answer the questions. That's going to be your, your quiz sheet. So, um, yeah, that's going to be exciting using a bit of, uh, you know, modern technology. Mm hmm. A, f- a smartphone that's been out for 15 years. <laughs> Superb. And that is taking place whenabouts? It's Tuesday, the 16th of November at uh, 9.30 at night. So, um, yeah, get plenty of rest. It's a late one. Yeah, tickets are limited for that one as well. So, uh, yeah, book them fast. Hope to see some of you there. I had an idea for a, a quiz round, testing how many people actually pay attention to the Squiggly podcast round. <clears throat> And I think the, the questions and answers should be like obscure things that we brought up over the years. <laughs> Such as? We've never brought up anything obscure, but it's always been on topic. What are you talking about? Well, I can't give them away now. No, no, not at all. <laughs> but my all I will suggest is, if you want to be in with a chance to win, you know, get listening to the Squiggly Podcast back catalogue. There's only like 200 episodes. And we'll see you in November. Good stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks everyone for joining us for another episode of the Squiggly Animation Podcast. And thanks as well to Dan Ajari and Mikey, please, for joining us once again 
uh, it's great to have these guys back on. Um, we go back a ways with them, as you mentioned. Um, so yeah, it's really nice that they're uh, they're still at it and they're still doing amazing work. Don't forget, you can catch Robin Robin on Netflix November twenty fourth. So yeah, keep your eyes open for it. Before we shoot off, some little bits and pieces to go through in closing. First of all, the British Animation Awards submission deadline is fast approaching. You have until 7pm on October 29th to get your production submitted. Categories span TV series, music videos, commercial work, writing, music, sound, immersive, social good, a whole bunch more. But if you have any animated short films, be they student, indie, or professional, you have no reason not to send them our way, because those categories are completely free. And for a full breakdown on the event, fees for other categories, and how to submit, visit BritishAnimationAwards.com. Once again, the deadline is 7pm October 29th, so be sure to get on it. Next month, our pals at Cardiff Animation Festival are continuing their series of in-person screenings of their 2020 online festival program. The next one will be Shorts 3, Hot, which includes my latest film, Speed, among some wonderful work centred around the theme of finding love. That will be taking place at Chapter Arts Centre in Cardiff the evening of November 21st. The exact time isn't 100% confirmed yet, but keep your eyes on their website and social media for updates as they come. Worth mentioning that submissions to the 2022 edition of Cardiff Animation Festival are still open. The regular deadline is November 7th, and the late deadline is December 3rd. You can submit over on filmfreeway.com slash Cardiff Animation Festival. Speaking of whales, podcast listeners might recall us discussing a whales-produced film I did some VFX work on a fair few moons ago now. Chuck Steele, Night of the Trampires. We also talked a bit about it when we appeared on the Secrets of British Animation documentary for the BBC. Uh, this film wrapped about four years ago, did some festivals where it was met with a lot of enthusiasm, and then just sort of vanished, but it's finally getting itself a UK theatrical release, kicking off October 29th. It's definitely worth checking out. It objectively boasts some of the highest quality stop motion I think I've ever seen, and it brought together some of my absolute favourite people. Uh, a lot of fond memories working on that. Anyway, you can check out the trailers and get screening info over at chucksteelthemovie.co.uk. So that's all from us. Thanks again to Dan Ujari and Mikey Please, and to all of you lovely people for listening. I've been Ben Mitchell. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Ben L. Mitchell. Steve is on Twitter at Mr. Underscore S. Underscore Henderson. And check out Squiggly at Squiggly on Twitter, at Squiggly Animation on Instagram, and Facebook.com slash Squiggly Magazine. Of course, the website is squiggly.com. Hopefully see some of you at MAF. Be sure to get your tickets pre-ordered for the Squiggly Quiz on November 16th. Until then, happy animating. Happy animating.